and welcome to another edition of the Byron York Show. If you've ever listened to this, you know it's the No Chit Chat Podcast. We'd like to get right into it. Uh, but I do want to say this is just the second podcast I've done since ending the hiatus, which lasted for a few months. As I explained last week, maybe you didn't hear, um, the reason I took a few months off from the podcast is because I was writing a book. Uh, the book is now finished. Uh, it's going to be published on September 8th. Uh, it is called Obsession, and it's about the long, long effort to remove President Trump from office. Um, remember back in, 20, in 2019, in December of 2019, which was just last year, Nancy Pelosi is asked, why are you rushing? Why are you kind of speeding to, uh, to impeach the president by Christmas or New Year's? And she said, we're not rushing. This has been going on a long time. This has been going on two and a half years since the beginning of Mueller. And she was right. It, it was not something that started with Ukraine or a phone call between the president of Ukraine and the president of the United States. It was not something like that at all. It had been going on a long time. It had taken different forms. It had morphed from time to time. But it had been going on a long time. And that's what the book is about. It's called Recession inside the Washington establishment's never-ending war on Trump. Uh, and I think it'll have some inside stuff that uh, hopefully you've never heard before. Uh, and you'll find it interesting. We're going to put a link to the, uh, to the book uh, on the podcast website. So hopefully you'll be interested in that. So now let's get right to what we're going to talk about this week. Um, I've been watching something called the Transition Integrity Project. I don't know if you've heard of it, but you've certainly heard of the context of the Transition Integrity Project. Uh, you know there's been speculation on the left, the, the resistance, never Trump sort of world, uh, that President Trump would not leave office. He would refuse to leave office uh, if he's defeated in 2020. And this, this talk comes and goes on MSN, NBC and the like, but it has really been going at a pretty high level for the last few weeks since the president's interview on Fox News Sunday. On Fox News Sunday, it was um, July 19th. Chris Wallace asked the president, quote, can you give a direct answer? You will accept the election. And Trump says, this is another quote, I have to see. I have to see. No, I'm not going to just say yes. I'm not going to say no. And I didn't last time either. Okay. So that's what President Trump says. Um, sets off a bunch of headlines. Trump declines to say whether he will accept November election. Trump won't commit to accepting result if he loses election. Trump not ready to commit to election results if he loses. And a lot more. You saw it. You heard it. Uh, the president stirred the pot a little bit because that's what he does. Um, most notably with a tweet asking whether because of the potential problems with voting by mail, whether the election should be postponed. So that just raised it all again. And, of course, the answer for Republicans uh, in Washington was, no, it should not be postponed, not going to be postponed. And, by the way, it's not the president's call to do it. Um, but long before this most recent controversy, last year, uh, a group of people formed this, a very secretive group called the Transition Integrity Project. It was formed by a Georgetown law professor named Rosa Brooks, 
who was a, um, a longtime liberal columnist at the Los Angeles Times, and a historian and think tank scholar named Nils Gilman. And they acted, quote, out of concern that the Trump administration may seek to manipulate, ignore, undermine, or disrupt the 2020 presidential election and transition progress. In other words, Trump would lose the election and he would hole up in the White House and refuse to leave and claim that he's still the president of the United States. uh, And so who knows what would happen then. Um, So what they did is this year uh, they organized a meeting of 100 people. And I'm going to read to you how they described them. Former high-ranking government officials, senior political campaigners, nationally prominent journalists and communications professionals, social movement leaders, and experts on politics, national security, democratic reform, election law, and media. Now, there are a hundred of these people, and they keep the name secret. That's why I call it a secretive organization, because they kept everybody's name secret. And um, they got together, and they decided to war games some scenarios. They call it a tabletop exercise to war game some scenarios for the 2020 election and see what would happen. Now, I said it was super secret. There were 100 people. About 40 of them have agreed to make their names public. And so we know, for example, that John Podesta, uh, who was Hillary Clinton's campaign chair, and before that he was a, a top official in the Obama and Bill Clinton White Houses, uh, John Podesta was there and part of it. Donna Brazile, a uh, longtime uh, Democratic official, uh, served for a while as chairman of the uh, Democratic National Committee. Uh, Jennifer Granholm, who was the Democratic uh, governor of Michigan, um, now seen denouncing the president on cable TV. There was another former governor, they say, uh, who is anonymous, whose name is secret, um, to make the group bipartisan. They said it was a bipartisan group. Uh, they included uh, a number of uh, Republicans and former Republicans who were very opposed to Trump. Reed Galen, um, longtime uh, Republican operative. You may have heard of the Lincoln Project, just a really virulently uh, anti-Trump organization. Uh, Reed Galen is a is a major figure in that. Um, Bill Kristol, Max Boot, David Frum, others, uh, people who've written a lot uh, criticizing the president for the last several years. So anyway, a hundred of them uh, get together. And this purpose of this meeting, which is in June, was to war game these scenarios and, and come out with possible scenarios, possible outcomes, things that might happen should the event, should the election be contested or be very difficult. So what I'm going to do is, is go through their scenarios. They, they went through four of them. Um, and three were, were plausible. One was kind of wacky, uh, but I'll describe them all. And so the, the, the stories you may have seen, there have been a few stories about, about this, and the stories all say uh, Trump refuses to leave White House if he loses election. So with all that in mind, let's go through a few of the, oh, all of the four scenarios that come up with. Now, the first scenario is... Uh, what they call a Joe Biden clear victory scenario. So Biden wins the popular vote 
and he wins the Electoral College by a good margin. Okay, so in that scenario, uh, Trump originally, uh, in the wake of the election, he uh, alleges voter fraud, but he doesn't really push it that much and spends most of the transition period uh, from November 3 to January 20, 2021, spends most of the transition period uh, preparing to return to private business. And he's, he's making sure that his companies get all sorts of government largesse. And he's pardoning his family members because they've all committed terrible crimes and, and that sort of thing. So that is the scenario. Um, and so there's really not that contested an election. And so the short version of the Joe Biden clear victory scenario is... Trump loses, leaves office, Biden is inaugurated on January 20th, 2021. So that's not a very dramatic scenario. Now, I should say that the one, th one thing that they, um, they have done that I think is correct at this uh, Transition Integrity Project is talk about because of the uh, coronavirus and um, the huge increase in voting by mail, uh, that the election results uh, could take quite a while to tabulate, that there really won't be anything that we used to know of as election night. With, even if it's a long night, then there is a, a winner at the end. Not going to happen that way. So if, if it doesn't happen that way, and there's a real chance that that's the way it's going to work, um, that will give a long time where there is no clear winner or no announced winner of the race, and all sorts of mischief could take place. So a lot of these scenarios are based on this possibility that we'll be going for a while without knowing uh, who won the election. And uh, I think we've seen with these uh, congressional districts in New York that took six weeks after their June 23rd primaries, six weeks to uh, decide the election. Uh, we've seen what problems there can be. And, and, you know, there are people in some states out west and say, look, we've been doing voting by mail for a long time. It's no problem. Quit complaining. Quit worrying. Um, but th there are a lot of other states where they simply haven't been doing the level of voting by mail that they probably will be doing um, for this election. And somebody described it, I think it was in a New York Times story, said, look, you're doing a dinner party for 10 people, and you've planned it, and you've, you're, you're on top of it, and then all of a sudden they say, no, it's going to be 100 people. Well, that's a difference in scale that's a pretty big difference, and it becomes very difficult uh, to do it just if you've, if you've never done it before. Um, so anyway, there, the, 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 the conditions underlying some of these scenarios um, are a, an election in which results are delayed. So anyway, the first scenario is this Joe Biden clear victory scenario. Trump loses, leaves office, Biden is inaugurated. What were we worrying about? Okay, the second scenario is, is a bit different. It is a narrow Biden victory. His, he wins the popular vote, but by less than one percentage point. And he wins 278 electoral votes, which is, you know, it's enough to win. You have to have 270, and he's got 278, but it's not a big total. Certainly not a big landslide. Now, in this case, Trump doesn't concede defeat. And he engages in what the Transition Integrity Project calls a, quote, large and coordinated disinformation campaign, primarily focused on the legitimacy of the mail-in ballots. 
Now, the Biden campaign doesn't take this lying down. They organize massive street protests around the country, which include violent skirmishes and vandalism. So they're, they're, people are in the streets. There's anger in the streets for this. Now, the Electoral College votes and Biden's Electoral College victory is certified. So he's won. He's going to be president. But it says that, quote, Trump refused to leave the White House. Um, he spends his last days, and again, this is uh, this anti-Trump group who, who have posited that Trump will spend his last days in the White House burning incriminating evidence and making plans to start a new network, Trump TV. It's going to be his new post-presidential project, Trump TV, uh, which, by the way, are two activities that kind of suggest he's planning to leave the presidency. Um, so now on January 20th, 2021, the inauguration day, the Secret Service escorted him out of the White House. Now the report, if you, if you look at it and you get a link to it, that the section of the report is poorly written and it's not entirely clear where the Secret Service actually escorts Trump out of the White House or at some point before that they make known that if he doesn't leave, they will escort him out. But the fact is he leaves. Uh, the report describes the transition as, quote, uneasy and combative, but ultimately successful. So just as in the first scenario, the bottom line is that Trump loses, leaves office, Biden is inaugurated, takes power on January 20, 2021. So we got these two scenarios, one with a Biden big victory, one with a Biden little victory. Uh, And both the scenarios end with Trump leaving office and Biden being inaugurated on schedule, on Inauguration Day 2021. Okay, so Trump didn't refuse to leave the White House. Okay, now I said one of the scenarios was a little wacky, and and this is the the third scenario. And this is the, they say there's no clear victor. And it's this scenario, it's a close vote nationwide, and it comes down to results in three states, Michigan, Florida, and North Carolina. So Trump wins Florida, and Biden wins North Carolina, which leaves Michigan as the state that will decide the presidency. Now, at that point in Michigan, and this is the part where it gets kind of weird. I'm going to quote from the report. Quote, a rogue individual destroyed a large number of ballots believed to have supported Biden. What does that mean? I don't know. Is that a, is that decisive? I don't know. But in any event, the the result is that Trump is left with a narrow victory in the Electoral College. So he's won in the Electoral College, but there was this incident in Michigan where the rogue individual destroyed ballots. So um, <clears throat> neither side is really ready to give any ground in this situation. And then it says that the Democratic governor of Michigan, quote, used this abnormality, the rogue individual, used this abnormality as justification to send a separate pro-Biden set of electors to Washington, D.C. At that point, here's another quote, neither campaign was willing to accept the result and called on their supporters to turn out in the streets to sway the result. All right, so you've got just chaos at this point. Uh, neither side can can agree 
on who got the most electoral votes. Um, at the end of this game, this war game, uh, both sides are uh, unable to agree on the legitimacy of the outcome. There's no clear president on January 20th. So Inauguration Day comes, and there's no way to know who is the president. Now, it didn't speculate on what happened after that. And oddly enough, it didn't include a, a popular vote number or a, a winner in the popular vote, so we don't know what effect that might have had. But that's a situation in which sort of Trump was sort of the winner, but maybe not the winner, and maybe Biden was the winner, and, and so neither side gives in. So I'm not sure what, what that tells you. Uh, but anyway, that's scenario three. All right, well, the final scenario. This is known as the Trump clear victory scenario. So it's like 2016. It's basically like 2016. Trump loses the popular vote. Biden wins the popular vote by 52 to 47. But Trump wins the Electoral College with 286 electoral votes. Not quite as many as the last time, but clear Electoral College victory. So in other words, Trump has won the presidency. Now, on election night, Biden concedes, but then he withdraws his concession as he recognizes the Democratic anger, as it, that anger is growing over another election in which the winner lost the popular vote but won the Electoral College and then became president. Obviously, in 2000, George W. Bush lost the, elect, lost the popular vote and won the presidency, and then in 2016, Trump lost the popular vote and won the presidency. So it, it happens again in 2020 in this scenario. And Democrats are extremely anger, angry. Anger is growing. They also believe that um, there's been massive Republican voter suppression. Now, this is something that the ground has been laid quite a long time ago. It's being laid as we speak for this idea of charging Republicans with massive voter suppression. Uh, and that'll be a grounds to question uh, election results. There's no doubt what that's for. Um, so Democrats are growing increasingly, increasingly angry. Biden has withdrawn his concession. So then it's time for the uh, maneuvering to begin. The Biden campaign pushes the Democratic governors of Michigan and Wisconsin. These are two states with Democratic governors that Trump won to disregard Trump's victory and overrule their state legislatures and send Biden electors to Washington instead of Trump electors. So just take away the electoral votes of Michigan and Wisconsin. Now, House Democrats, Democrats are in control of the House, they refuse to recognize Trump's electoral college victory. Um, and now this is written up in a kind of a weird way, but it appears that in all of this, the Biden campaign... At the same time, I mean, they know that Trump won the election. Uh, at the same time, is coming up with demands for concessions in exchange for recognizing Trump's victory. Uh, the idea would be Trump would be allowed to take office if the Electoral College were eliminated, if Washington, D.C. and Puerto Rico were given statehood, and if California was divided into five states which would create a lot more Democratic senators. Otherwise, the threat here was that California, Oregon, and Washington, kind of one big state, one big country, 
on the western coast of the United States, California, Oregon, and Washington State, would secede from the Union. This is, it's kind of far out stuff. Uh, it's amazing to see Democrats becoming the party of secession, but there it is. It's right there. So in the end, they're doing the scenario, and there are all of these maneuvers going on. In the end, uh, according to the report, the standoff, quote, remained unresolved on Election Day. Oh, excuse me, on Inauguration Day. Inauguration Day, quote, arrived without a single president-elect. And the scenario ended with, it was unclear what the military would do in this situation. Look, this is, this is clearly getting toward Banana Republic stuff. And the thing to remember here, this is the scenario in which one candidate wins the Electoral College, in other words, wins the presidency, and the other candidate refuses to accept the result. And the winner in this scenario is Donald Trump. And the candidate who refuses to accept the result is Joe Biden. This is entirely the opposite of all of the media speculation that we've been hearing in recent weeks and months. The uh, project wrote, the game play ended in a constitutional crisis with threats of secession and the potential for either a decline into authoritarianism or a radically revamped set of democratic rules that ensure the popular will prevails. Like cutting California up into five states five states, and getting a bunch more Democratic senators. Now, the, the report goes into a few of the reasons why Democrats would be willing to defy the constitutional structure of American presidential elections, that is, the Electoral College, to put Joe Biden in the White House. And it said that the game-playing, quote, revealed that for many Democrats and key Democratic constituencies, this election represents an existential crisis, the last chance to stop a rapid and potentially irreversible U.S. decline into authoritarianism and unbridled nativism. Some participants in the exercise observed that if former Vice President Biden wins the popular vote but loses the Electoral College, there will be political pressure from the Democratic Party's rank and file and from independent grassroots organizations to prevent a second Trump term. Now, prevent a second Trump term means overruling a clear, legitimate, constitutional Trump victory in this scenario. It's really a stunning report. It's absolutely stunning, and and I've written about this at the Washington Examiner, um, and now now we're talking about it. What's incredible, absolutely incredible, is if you look up some of the coverage of this so far, and some of the people who took part in this have actually written about it now, um, they don't mention this scenario about Trump winning and Biden and Democrats refusing to accept the result. All the stories are scenarios show Trump refuses to accept results of election. When they went through this exercise, and in the one clear situation in which Trump wins, Democrats refuse to accept it. 
And they give these reasons they're so upset about authoritarianism and unbridled nativism they did, that they just have to do it. They just have to do it. And, and I know the Electoral College is in the Constitution and all of that, but we just have to do it because Trump is so bad. So I think this is really an extraordinary story that has not gotten the coverage it received, and the coverage that it did get uh, was partial. Let's just say it was partial. Um, and I think it p- points out the fact that when one side believes the stakes are so high as to be existential. Now, we know there's this boilerplate where people say every four years, partisans on both sides, you know, this is the most important election of my lifetime. They say that a lot. But when you have a situation where one side has convinced itself that the stakes are so high as to be existential, then virtually any means are justified to prevent the other side from winning. So there's really a lesson um, from this transition integrity project game playing scenario. Um, and the lesson is that some, some of the most passionate Democrats— Democrats who are running the party, uh, running party-affiliated groups, holding office, um, might be willing to throw aside the constitutional structure for presidential elections in their desire to put an end to the Trump presidency. Now, that's what I wanted to talk about today. It's, uh, it's not a happy story, but I think it's something that you need to see um, and you can find the link to the Transition Integrity Projects report, which is just 22 pages. You can go through it pretty quickly. Uh, you need to see that, and you need to be thinking about that because um, life has a way of surprising us. Certainly did uh, in November 2016 when Trump uh, won the presidency. I know a lot of you are going to say, I wasn't surprised, uh, but a lot of people were very surprised. And... Um, so you can't assume that any particular thing is going to happen this November. And what this role-playing exercise, this wargaming exercise did, was it did actually reveal um, especially some Democratic priorities going into the election. So that's it uh, for me today. And uh, I hope you'll take a look more into this. I hope you'll take a look at, uh, at my book, Obsession. Uh, and I hope you'll join me again soon for another edition of the Byron York Show. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Cartels are exploiting Indian reservations to get into America, and our federal government can't be bothered to stop it. Hey, y'all. It's Sarah Carter from The Sarah Carter Show. I just got back from two trips to our southern border, and I want to take you inside a huge hotspot where thousands of migrants are coming into America every day. I was with a member of the National Border Patrol Council when the Border Patrol nabbed 
multiple illegal migrants who are breaking U.S. law. And I have the exclusive audio. For all this and more, subscribe to The Sarah Carter Show on your favorite podcast app.